welcome to session seven of my virtual book tour for my book, Billion Dollar B2B E-Commerce. I wrote this book to give B2B companies a playbook for their digital transformation. Today is session seven. We're going to be talking about user experience. Before we go much further, I want to say thank you to our sponsors, particularly our platinum sponsor, Elastic Path. So as I mentioned, uh, we're going to be talking today about creating an online experience. I have a lot of sessions we've covered uh, through, the, through the summer and a lot of great content, really a lot of fantastic speakers we've had. We've covered everything from leadership and alignment through to managing channel conflict and using digital marketing. So today we're going to be talking about creating a successful online user experience. As my guest today, I have Matt Wingham from Cardinal Health, one of the global leaders in healthcare. And we also have Darren Archer from Elastic Path. I'll introduce them both in just a minute. But first I want to give us a little bit of context. You know, I talk about creating an online experience as stealing smart from B2C. And it really is a lot about meeting the customer's expectation based on their consumer experiences. You as a B2B company need to deliver that. But you also have to, to accommodate traditional B2B workflows. So I'm going to provide some context in a few slides, and then we're going to get into our fireside chat. So today's buyer is a digital or Amazon native. It is, in fact, many folks don't realize that millennials, those born between 1980 and 2000, will in fact be 75% of the global workforce by 2025. And these folks are increasingly moving into B2B procurement roles. And these folks are online natives. In fact, last year they made 60% of their purchases online up from 47% in 2017. Folks, that means that they make more of their purchases online than offline. And these are becoming your buyers. Two thirds of millennials make half or more of their online purchases, guess where, on Amazon. And 97%, almost 100% use Amazon for at least part of their online shopping. And guess what? They expect a similar experience from you in terms of your e-commerce. This group is, I like to say silently, but really quickly becoming the majority of your buyers. So as we talk about and think about digital experience, this is the bar you have to meet. So what is user experience? Well, this is a, uh, a definition from that authority on the internet, Wikipedia, but I think it sort of sets the context well. And then we'll get into some practical examples so I can really hammer it home for you. Defining user experience. User experience, it's also called UX in the industry. It refers to a person's emotions and attitudes about using a particular product, system, or service. It includes the practical, experiential, effective, meaningful, and valuable aspects of human-computer interactions and product ownership. Sounds very complicated. <laughs> but really what it means is you're delivering an experience that connects with your customer and makes it easy for them to learn about your business using digital channels. Let me give you some examples. It's not this. <laughs> this is unfortunately what many B2B companies uh, consider a, 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 an online experience which is adequate. And, and quite frankly, it's, it's a shame. But so many companies really just sort of add a plug into their ERP system where the customer needs to go in and look for the specific part number. There's no pictures, there's no images. This is not state-of-the-art user experience. This is more like HAL 9000, <laughs> if you 
recall that movie. What really means is this. So many of you probably know Granger. I use the example of Granger in the book and other places because Granger has invested early and significantly in their online user experience and e-commerce in general. This is a picture of their homepage. Granger gets close to 60% of their revenue from e-commerce transactions. And as you think about user experience, it's really meeting the consumer-like expectations of your B2B buyer through your B2B online experience. In the example here of Granger, you see that it reflects a consumer-like experience when you land on their homepage. User experience also includes things like navigation. You see the elements here under products, all products, and you see drill downs into abrasives and electrical and lab supplies. This is a, this is a consumer-like experience in terms of the navigation. This is called mega navigation. Similarly, when you get into product categories, you can see on this image on the left side, there are drill downs into specific things that the, cus the customer is looking for. When you think about many B2B companies and their product assortment, they're very large, hundreds of thousands, in some cases millions, and we'll talk about this with Matt a little bit later from Cardinal. The elements that you need to drill down and create a product selection which is manageable for the customer is one of the key elements of user experience for e-commerce. And then site search is another very important component. In this example, the user is typing the word floor, and below that word floor, you can see suggestions that are written out in text format. You can see uh, visual examples here as well, being suggested to the user. One of the central theses of, of my book is about making the buyer's job easier, and these paths, helping the customer to get to what they need very quickly, are critical. And if you think about the example of Amazon, with 600 million products on it, literally, the, they have set the bar for getting the product, the customer to their product quickly. And that's important for you as well. Another great example that I use in the book is a company called Ergodyne. Ergodyne is using these same principles, and this is a picture of their homepage. Look at the consumer-like messaging that's being used here. 40% lighter, infinitely cooler, introducing the lightweight bump cap, scholars. <laughs> Point here is, they're using consumer-like messaging to reach the customer. This is a B2B site, beautiful imagery. Look at their category pages. Beautiful imagery, merchandising language. These are foreign concepts to a lot of B2B companies. Remember that green screen I showed you a few minutes ago. Look on the left-hand side. You're able to navigate down into categories. These are the fundamental and foundational elements of user experience. Here's a picture of their product detail page. Notice the big, rich images the rich title, the pricing clearly displayed, the description below. You can write a review on this product, see different images. It's not about knowing the, the exact SKU number of your product, never showing the customer a picture and hoping they order the right thing. This is, these are consumer-like best practices, but it's only half the story. The other half of the story is making sure you're accommodating the B2B workflow needs of your customer. And we'll talk about that more in our fireside chat. The sad thing is most B2B sellers are not meeting the buyer's expectation. A study done last year in 2019 uh, by Digital Commerce 360 revealed that only 7% of corporate buyers rate the B2B e-commerce sites they use as excellent. And what were the areas of deficiency? Well, they cited basic UX, user experience features such as lack of product images, inaccurate inventory, 
lack of sufficient product content in other areas. So B2B is not here yet. The good news in this, of course, is if you do this well and right, you can, you can leapfrog your competition and really meet your, your customers' uh, needs where they're looking for you to do that. So what do you do about this? Well, talk to, I talk a lot about in the book about putting the customer first in the process, and this applies to user experience as much as it does about aligning your selling channels and other things. You need to understand the expectation of your customer and the best in the business, including the folks we're gonna to talk to today, Matt and Cardinal, have put the customer at the center of the experience. They have them uh, interviewed through the process of developing the user experience. They design it around their needs. This is critical and I keep reminding everyone of this. Understand and deploy the best practices from B to C. Now, you don't wanna reinvent the wheel here. It may be, it may, you may wanna have fun and get adventurous with what you wanna do with your digital experience. There's found, foundational elements you do not wanna do this with. There are certain things that the customer expects, things like intuitive navigation, as I showed you with Granger and Ergodyne. Search, which is easy and fast to use and returning relevant results product and category page elements, web merchandising and personalizing the experience, recognizing the customer when they come to your website, content management, how you're presenting content digitally to reinforce your authority in the business, your shopping cart and checkout. There are very conventional steps here. Now with B2B, you have things like buying on purchase order and other, and other elements like that that need to be accommodated as well because your customers probably buy on credit terms with you. Account support and service, being able to access and self-service. Where is my order? Paying for invoices, paying down your credit line, things like that. And then payment methods are also uh, extremely important. Accommodating different payment methods is a proven way to drive conversion from B2C and it applies to B2B just as well. Seek to, seek to understand and make your transactional workflows, your traditional process more efficient Again, a secondary, uh, a second thesis in my book is making the buyer's job easier is the key to success here. And that applies across the board. We'll talk about that with Matt in just a moment. And finally, you need to get experience by your side. There are well-established conventions for this and there are experts in this field. And user experience, um, folks, you need to put by your side with your technology team as you're building your e-commerce experiences. It's critical you do that. In the chapter in the book, I have a lot of detail around these different elements. I can't go through all of them today, but we're gonna dive into some of the details in just a minute here with our guests. So y'all have met me, I'm Brian. Uh, in addition to writing this, uh, this book, um, I'm also the managing partner of a company called Inceba. And at Inceba, we focus on helping manufacturers and brands, uh, and some distributors as well, focus on bringing their products to Amazon and establishing a strategy and then executing that. And we have a practice focused on B2B as well. So you met me and I'm so excited to have Matt uh, Wingham join me today. Uh, Matt uh, and I go back, uh, gosh, I think four or five years at least, Matt, um, I've worked with Cardinal several times. Matt, you wanna, um, you wanna introduce yourself to the, uh, to the audience? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Brian. Hi, everyone. My name is Matt Wingham. I work for Cardinal Health as director of e-commerce within our medical business. Uh, so Cardinal Health, I, th I think, is, as most folks are aware, but just to, to level set, is a, is a global healthcare company. We primarily focus on distributing pharmaceutical and medical products uh, to healthcare providers. We're a Fortune 15 a company, 
and um, very much are focused on helping our healthcare providers service patients. And we take that uh, and that set of values that go along with that very, uh, very important. So I live, as I mentioned, within our medical business and have responsibility for delivering uh, an e-commerce experience that helps our customers along their procurement needs uh, for medical customers. That's awesome, Matt. Thank you. I'm so excited to dive into some of these concepts with you. Um, And then Darren Archer. Darren, you have great experience. I love the fact that you're here too, because you've got the both the perspective, uh, you know, from the so- from the software side, but you've lived this stuff too. Tell us about your background. Thanks, thanks, Brian. You know, I remember not too many years ago feeling like I wasn't quite uh, as experienced or professional in this e-commerce space because I had all this non-traditional e-commerce experience. Much of it was B two B. You know, and it seemed like you only got a lot of attention if you were the the B to C person, right? Yeah. Uh, but it's it's definitely um, been been a fun a fun way to learn this. Yeah. So my background, I've done everything from selling you know telecom services online and um, software and high tech uh, offerings and products uh, that included traditional telesales and uh, you know call center folks and sales reps etc in uh, many of my prior roles and then I've been on the vendor side trying to build solutions that would be a little bit more oriented to some of these use cases and and so I found myself uh, you know with Elastic Path as an example. Awesome well Darren and Matt I'm I'm so excited to have you guys so guys let's uh, let's let's get into a little bit so so Matt you mentioned a little bit about Cardinal Health in your intro Tell us a little more about, you know, kind of where, you know, where you guys have been, your journey a little bit in, in e-commerce, um, you know, where have you come from, what, where are you today, and, uh, and maybe a little bit more about, uh, you know, about, about where you all are on your digital transformation sure. journey, because you've done, you've done a lot of investment. Yeah, absolutely, Brian. Thanks. Yeah, so, you know, I started at Cardinal Health about five years ago, a little over five years ago, and, and I, was, I was hired to, to come in and reimagine, re-envision a new e-commerce experience that meets our medical customers' needs. And so we, you know, we started down this journey really five years ago. And at the time, we had two um, older legacy e-commerce sites. It's, it's kind of funny, the, the, the black screen with the green text that you showed earlier, kind of the DOS prompt. That wasn't a screenshot from your site. That was not from our old site, but <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't too far off. So we, you know, we had uh, two two old legacy experiences that really didn't meet our customers' needs. And uh, to your points earlier, that's where, really where we started in our journey was we had to make sure we understand what our medical customers' needs are, what jobs are they trying to get done throughout the day. And in our case, you know, we're servicing um, hospitals, non-acute settings like surgery centers, and we're servicing procurement professionals in those in those different facilities who are really tasked with procuring the right product at the, at the right time at the right price. And so we, we keep those three pieces in mind as we think about our customers. So as we think about our journey, we started five years ago, really immersing ourselves in customer insights, understanding what our customers are trying to do. Um, and then we, we started to design and, and build the experience based on those insights and all along the way we've had customers involved whether it's from uh, the start five years ago where they were helping us understand in their needs through our design concepts and usability testing putting putting screens and designs in front of them and getting feedback on what they liked what they didn't like and making adjustments to make sure that when we did create the experience that it would resonate with our customers so happy to say we launched our new new experience which is called cardinal health market in March of 2018. It's hard to believe it's been a little over two years. Um, 
but we launched in March of 2018 and we, we've been working on improving the site um, each month. We have new releases that go in and we continue to, uh, again, gain customer feedback. We have a power user group that we've formed that we meet with uh, um, every two months to continue to look at not only providing feedback on what we've launched, but then also give us some guidance on uh, additional enhancements that they would find value in. And we use that to, to influence our investments uh, for upcoming years. I love the fact that you guys have done such a good job with the customer feedback and creating that ongoing loop. I think it's just so critical to success. Um, and Darren, I know you ha you have some experience too working with Cardinal. I mean, it's over the years too. And anything you want? Yeah, well, add? I was yeah, I was curious. You know, Matt. You know, I think a lot has changed this year. Uh, you know, I think it's interesting. March 2018, you launched. Two years later, probably uh, that marketplace has got the most action it's seen in a long time. And you know, we are at this tipping point where I know even from both the operator side and the vendor side, you know, B2B is now actually number one focus in many regards over B2C. But um, you know. I like that you guys are doing a lot of stuff with the focus groups and the power users. How, you know, have you seen some of this new customer engagement where, you know, I had this example uh, that I've told recently, the story where I had a, my dentist changed, right? And my, my dentist of uh, nearly 20 years retired, very traditional office uh, in San Francisco, managing the, their supply chain with the, uh, you know, a secretary, office manager, insurance broker, you know, that called everyone, loved to have everything over faxes and that traditional paper process, new, new person came in, bought the, the, the office and the new office manager came in and she just immediately was like, if they don't have e-commerce, if I can't buy online, I'm not even going to bother with them. We're going to change out vendors. And I imagine like right now it's kind of the fervor of everyone scrambling, trying to find things. Are you, are you seeing some of these new entrants as well? Uh, kind of going back to what Brian talked about with the millennials, that are suddenly kind of, you know, having a shift where I could see some market share changes happening if you're not on top of it. Yeah, absolutely, Darren. Yeah, we, you know, with millennials coming into the workforce, we have seen a shift in, in, in underscoring the value of having an online experience that helps our customers and really meets those younger buyers uh, wherever they are and whenever they want to or choose to interact with us. So that's definitely helped, you know, helping shape uh, the experiences that we create. Um, so what we're trying to do is, um, you know, parse out the feedback that we get based on the, the type of customer, the demographic of the customer, and, and really dig in and, um, you know, create experiences that resonate with uh, the vast majority of the customers that are using our, our site. Um, but we are starting to definitely see millennials start to enter into that procurement buying mode, and we're, we're trying to stay close with them on understanding their needs and how we can deliver for them. Do you have some of those folks in your customer advisory board some some do you aim for to add some folks in we, that profile yeah we do brian we try to get a good mix across the landscape of customers whether it's by customer segment so we have our acute and non-acute and and some of our physician office customers but then also demographic wise with age range um, and experience which we, we aim for uh, making sure we have some flexibility into that group and the hard part is then taking all that feedback and figuring out how we distill it down to meaningful insights and then which ones we want to act on and prioritize that's right, that's right, the challenging right. part okay. yeah no I, you know i think that cardinal health is a, is an interesting one to me and, and matt i've collaborated with you guys over the years as well um, but because I, I find it, you know, a lot of folks, then they look at some of these companies and they just think that you've got a couple major use cases that you're supporting. Um, but you have, you know, everything from that traditional procurement process to, uh, you know, even nurses reordering within facilities, but even doing some uh, new business models where 
enabling some of your pharmacy partners, for example, right, where they end up kind of whitelisting uh, or OEMing your e-commerce capabilities to then, you know, further project and help improve their businesses with customers that are changing. So, are, you know, is that channel, all these different channels, are you seeing, is the data starting to support some of this anecdotal evidence of, you know, the changeover and people wanting to move from phone and fax to, to e-commerce? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. In, in my world, it's, we have a large volume of EDI ordering that's going on. So we have actually over about 85%, a little over that of the ordering that's going on on the medical side that we're seeing is, is via EDI. Uh, and our e-commerce, our e-commerce um, conversion and ordering is about 5%, so a very small percentage. But what that means is even those customers that are ordering via EDI, they come to our site and they're dependent on the site to research products um, and do a level of self-service uh, that they can't do elsewhere. And as their prime distributor, we have to make sure we deliver you know, good product experience for our customers and also good self-service capability. So, you know, it's, it's good for us that we're an important key kind of cog in the procurement workflow for our customers, even though in many cases, they're not actually converting on our site. Right. Uh, so we continue to look at that data and figure out how do we drive, you know, manual ordering that comes in through calls, um, you know, through the phone, through fax. How do we drive that electronically, whether it's EDI or through e-commerce? Those are all areas that we continue to look at and figure out how we can, you know, from a business perspective, drive the types of ordering we'd like to have, but then also meeting at the intersection of providing a good experience for our customers um, online. You know, and and Matt, you talked about, um, I talk a lot in the book about that sort of consumer-like experience, right? I think it kind of fits into this conversation here. Um, What what have you found, I mean, when you think about creating that experience and adopting things from B2C, right? What have you found to be the most impactful things? What have you guys done what do yeah. you pull from me to see? Yeah, for, for us, it's uh, it's a lot around the product experience. What I mean by that, if, if you look at some of our data, over 75% of our site visits um, include a search, a product search. So we've had to make sure we're, we're very, very good at, um, you know, providing uh, relevant search results. And then when you add the kind of the, the scale of what we're looking at, we offer about 300,000 um, individual SKUs on our market site. And so when you look at 300,000 SKUs and the 75% of searching, we had to make sure that we have strong product content to help with the overall search experience. We employ things like type ahead search, um, which is very common in the B2C world. So we're guiding customers to what they're looking for as they enter each keystroke in the search bar. Uh, In the future, we're going to start looking at pulling some photography and imagery into that type of head search to to help Mm -hmm. customers additionally. So search is a big piece. Product content has been really important for us. Um, and really just trying to find ways to make make the ordering process and the research process fast for our customers, uh, especially our non-acute customers. In many cases, you've got you know a, a person who is scrubbing in to help with a procedure. That person's also actually ordering products from us. And so we you know speed and efficiency is important. So things like quick order uh, is an important capability that we've adopted from the B2C world. Uh, just to, to help our customers be able to purchase products more quickly. Now, as you say, it's interesting, interesting you mentioned some of the imagery components piece there because I think uh, it sounds like you guys are probably already starting to look at uh, image recognition, maybe some computer vision to translate that back to a SKU and help accelerate uh, that, that purchase product. That, that was a, a use case I've, I've seen more recently. My stint uh, Prior in the IT space, I, I got that request a lot. Can I just, can I just, I have it in my hand. I don't know what the heck it is because I'm buying mm-hmm. on behalf of someone else. 
can I take a picture of it, right, with my with my smartphone, and and then you know it'll just tell me what it is, and I can add it to the cart or something. You're starting to play around with some of those kinds of things, or at least have them on that that vision list to to explore. Yeah, it's on it's on our roadmap definitely, um, and it just gets back to the to the convenience factor for the customer. And, you know, they're, they're busy in a lot of cases. They, they may be, to your point, Darren, have a picture or have the product in front of them. They could snap a picture and, um, you know, through image rack, we could, we could tell them what, what that product is and guide them to that product. Yeah. We're not quite there yet. We're still building out our foundational product content capabilities, but that would set us up nicely to enable that type of uh, image recognition in the future. That's awesome. And I know, you know, one of the things that we talk about too, um, earlier in the session today and in the book, Matt was about, you know, taking not only the B2C, best of B2C, but also B2B, right? So B2B, uh, traditional workflows are different, right? So you can't just throw up an e-com site with, that has nothing but B2C features and expect your B2B customers to buy, right? Yeah. So what, what have you found is, you know, different um, and what have you found is important in terms of those accommodating those traditional workflows for B2B? Yeah, you know, there's a couple of things we've been, you know, focused on. So punch out is is one example uh, where you know we enable a capability for a customer to start in their system, typically their ERP system, and create a purchase order or blank purchase order, and then come to our site, build a cart, and then take that order back to their system where they can go through a number of approvals on their side. So punch out is an area um, that we that we offer to our customers that. Uh, helps them um, with their workflow. Um, we also, you know, just thinking about the um, the EDI transactions and, and things that are going on in many cases, um, our customer will just fire off an order via EDI and they don't actually know if the product is in stock or not. Mm-hmm. And so we'll go back to them and say, you know, making the numbers up, but of the 100 products you ordered, we couldn't, you know, 25 of them are not in stock, 75 are. So they have to now take action for those 25. So we've built a an experience on the site where the customer can now resolve those those orders or lines that we couldn't fill. Um, so there's a number of capabilities they have there where they can, you know, resolve any sort of line that was on back order or we couldn't fill it for whatever reason. And that's that's a specific B2B use case that we see primarily tied to the volume of EDI ordering that's that's going on in our world. And that yeah. was always my challenge when I made the shift, Brian, to from kind of the B2C to B2B. I had a short stint where I was responsible for the B2B store on Adobe.com, another software company selling the, the, their software to, to enterprises and, you know, companies all over the world. And it was this idea that in many cases, you, you know, you have the e-commerce workflow pretty simple. You go through, you browse, navigate, find what you want, add it to cart, you know, whip out your credit card B2C style or PayPal or whatever, and you purchase and and you wait for the wonderful gift to arrive, you know, at your home. But in the B2B world, it was like, well, if they purchase with, you know, a purchase order, um, or maybe even you had cash on delivery or some, you know, various uh, payment methods, the order actually has more states, right? It kind of falls into these holding grounds where it's like, all right, we got to go verify inventory. Okay, that's good. Now, you know, is the, is the purchase order authorized? You know, is there a workflow that maybe has to go to someone else and they have to actually approve that? that uh, purchase order at which point then the order is released uh, and so there's there's a lot behind the scenes that I think a lot of folks that come into this space or if they're trying to take some of the b2c ideas they have to you know they have to have some folks involved that can help them to know where some of those breakpoints are where some of those workflows are those like kind of extra steps if you will 
that comes with B2B, right? Yeah, and Darren, I think that's where it's interesting too, when you connect it back to what we were talking about earlier with customer research, you know, ethnographic on-site visits, which we've done quite a few of, are, are just so vital to understand what are the steps in their process that they're yeah. going through. And then what, you know, once you understand those steps, then you can figure out, you know, how to service them online. It's interesting. We had a guest um, uh, in the past and coming back uh, from Aluminum, Matt, you've met Dave yeah. Graham, I mm -hmm. think. And one of the things that they've done, for example, to this discussion is they, they've set up in their cart a way to pass the, uh, the cart along so that in their shopping cart, the cart along so that the approvers can review it and approve it. So, yeah, it's, it's a, you have to do those things and those don't exist in B2C, right? <laughs> when I'm buying my, yeah. my jacket, I don't, well, I do need my wife's approval, but, you know, <laughs> not, all, not always. Yeah, um, and that's not quite a workflow we've programmed yet. <laughs> right, that's right. <laughs> Yeah, Darren, come on, get on that with uh, Elastic Path, man. Um, so uh, so this, this is a good discussion, guys. Um, related to, you know, making sure you're meeting customer expectations, Matt, you know, one of the things you talked about was, you know, attribution, right? And how do you, you know, you got all these orders that are happening on, um, uh, you know, on your ER, through your punch out and through uh, integrations, not on the e-com site. Can you speak to us a little bit? And Darren, I, th I think you probably have some good stuff to add here, too around you know how do you how do you know you're meeting the customer's expectation how do you kind of make that attribution work meaning you know it's being researched on your site but the sale isn't tied together with you know with with what's happening on the site necessarily right so how do you how do you make sure you're being successful what are you measuring yeah yeah for us brian it's a, it was a is a question that we we definitely needed to figure out and it's really it really gets back to like what value does our e-commerce experience offer to our customers and to our business and trying to build a model attribution model to prove that out you know going back to how our customers are using the site they're primarily using it to research products and do a level of self-service again they're not really majority are not converting on the site which is okay with us so the way, so based on how customers are using the experience around researching products, what we built, and there's a number of different models you can build. We landed on this particular model we, that we call a facilitated revenue model. So at, a, at the highest level, what it's based on is we take a look at customers that log into our site and research a product, a, a particular material. And if they, aren't, if they have not purchased that material for three months prior, but they come and they view that product in our site and then they start purchasing that product. We count that as a, a facilitated revenue or a sale that our e-commerce site facilitated. And we start to count that and, and show those results to our leadership team on the value that our e-commerce experience provides to, to our customers in our business. Yeah, that's great. Darren, what about you? I think you had some, yeah, one of the things that, you know, it's interesting because the times right now it's are a little bit challenging with many folks still, uh, you know, working from home and we've had this big shift, of course, where we may see a lot more people working from home in the traditional office, but we had made some pretty big strides in, in the industry on kind of helping to aid in this attribution by identifying who's on that browse side, who's and, and who's on the purchase and being able to stitch together some information. And so, uh, you know, you don't, you don't get into some of these more advanced analytics topics uh, on your, on your book, Brian, I'm guessing it's probably going to be in the second one, but uh, you know, <laughs> you start to look at detecting IP addresses, we can do things like reverse lookups and actually see that, Oh, you're at a, you're at a company or you're at an institution or university, et cetera. And we start to know who it is. Uh, and so even if it's someone that maybe in the buy flow, for example, they're an engineer and they're, and they're reviewing product to design into a solution that they're building, 
then it can be, uh, the purchase can be even way further out than say three months. It can be something that could come a year or two later and so you want to stitch that together. But that's something that we have been able to do. Uh, you know, the, the, the type, the solutions out there, not just we Elasticpath, but like, you know, the, the companies out there providing analytics platforms, et cetera. So that's a, a tactic that I think is important. And then uh, I've seen some, some companies that have gotten so advanced where they will use some of the personalization capabilities from the B2C world and take that information, like detecting that you're using your work computer and knowing who you are then, and then changing content on the site. So we've done a lot of personalization where, you know, if you think the B2C use cases, it might be about showing you past purchases or what you bought, or, you know, people bought this, bought that, those kinds of things. But this might be in a B2B context where it's changing out phone numbers, for example, from an 800 number that's going to, you know, hit the, the wonderful paywall of an IVR or some big call center, you know, dance you got to get through before you get to an agent to the cell phone number of the sales rep that is assigned to your account, right? And awesome. you can do that with these web tools. So there's some, some pretty neat things that I think we finally have at our disposal that, that start to solve some of these challenges with attribution because it is such a long drawn out purchase path. You know, the, the awesome part about B2B, and I've lived in both B2C, you know, 17 years doing B2C e-commerce and then the last five doing this stuff. And, you know, one of the things that I love about the B2B market is you have a universe of customers that you know. And then it's not, you're not dealing with yeah. five, 10 million individual consumers. Maybe you're dealing with 200,000 or even 10,000 customers. And the experience is, it's, it's a relationship. You know who they are. You traditionally have done business with them one-to-one -one through a sales team. Digital provides that extension. And I argue in the book that personalization can be even more powerful in B2B than it can be in B2C because you're really extending and reinforcing that relationship. Yeah, I like that you took that assertion because I think everyone, you know, listening and, and starting to, you know, many cases maybe double down on their on their e-commerce initiatives. Outside of B2B, personalization is a lot harder because to your point, you are yeah. trying, you're trying to guess amongst millions, right? Who you have on the other side of the glass. And yep. in the B2B context, it's like, well, hey, go get that great sales, you know, rep or team that has a relationship with us, sit down with the copy editors and marketing and yep. put together some great content that will be relevant to that buyer. And you can actually do that because it's a, a finite yeah, list. Yeah, exactly. Everyone logs in when they come. So, Matt, your yeah. job's easy, man. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> it's too easy. I'm yeah. kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, no, Not it's his very, skill. He's doing it with the actual bees, like your book, it, right? Billy. Exactly. No, he is. I know. Uh, so no, Matt, uh, you, you guys have done a, a fantastic job. And, but I do, I do believe that, uh, Darren. And thank you for that. I, I think, um, I think it really can be more, can be more powerful because people have to log in. They come to your site. You know, they're, you're gonna they're self-identifying. It's great. Yeah. Yeah, I think the the other maybe point to add to that is is looking at how you can connect all that data across the channels that the customer interacts with you in, even in B2B. So we have calls coming in to, to customer service, we have logins on the site, we have other other data that's being collected. So that's one of the areas we're trying to focus on for our next that's fiscal year. How do we connect all that data? Yep. Even on our side, we you know we're we're starting to play with e-commerce, ironically, right? With some try-buy workflows and, and and trial of software is a big is a big thing in the industry now. Um, and one of the things I like is we have an analytics report that I get in in my inbox each week that sh that goes out to the whole sales force as well, and it shows by company name 
not nothing you know obscure like a cookie id or something it's just company name and it says you know how many views they've had how many people came to the site mm -hmm. uh, and then we can drill down in those reports and we can see you know what content did they consume what were they reading about what you know which obviously might show some interest and intent um, and then in, you know, in the case of a catalog, you can actually show them what products were they looking at, uh, et cetera. Yep. So that, that can be, I like your, your point there. Cause I think not a lot of us think about how do you share that past the web team, the e-commerce team, right? How do you get that back out to your field organizations, your channel, um, because they could find some value in having that at their fingertips. Absolutely. That's, that's a huge opportunity for us as we look at, the years upcoming is how do we take all of that data that we're collecting and field it back, uh, service it back to the sales teams and our, our support teams to just be able to, to, to help them sell better. You know, we don't, we don't compete. The, the site doesn't compete with our sales team. It, it helps them achieve their goals. So we're looking at how we can service that data back up to them. That's, this is an awesome discussion, guys. It actually speaks to, we had someone from Georgia Pacific on session five, and that was a lot of what we talked about, right? Was was about these aligning these channels so that the sales team works together with ecom. It's so powerful when that's done well. It's amazing. So Matt, you've had some results from all this, I guess, right? <laughs> can you share? What can you share? I know you're public. Yeah. You can't share everything. You're a public company, but what you know? What kind of things can you share? Yeah, a couple of things I, I can share. So if you look at overall customer satisfaction. Um, when we launched the site, we took a survey. Um, and our, our customer sat is, is going up, uh, which is good. So we, uh, we're right now a little bit over a, th um, a little bit over a three on a, on a scale of one to five. And our goal is to get to three and a half and then continue to grow from there. So we believe with the enhancements we've been making this fiscal year, um, that will, will achieve that goal if not exceed it. So excited to, to take our next pulse survey and see where we are around customer sat. Uh, and then from the facilitated revenue model, I, I can't share specific numbers, but we're seeing our facilitated revenue numbers, both from a revenue and a gross margin standpoint, well exceed our business case modeling that we did several years ago. Mm -hmm. I'm so excited to see the financial impact and benefits that we're um, um, achieving through the facilitated revenue model. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, you guys, the scale of which you operate is pretty incredible. I know you can't share details, but... <laughs> Um, I think that's the key thing, though. I, I did, I did, uh, you know, I think everyone could take a leap of faith, Matt. So I'm not hopefully giving away your data, but I, you know, I said the B, right? You guys are doing billions online, uh, and and someone could back into that with your percentages from earlier, anyways. But you know, I'm not giving the real number. But I think it's important to say that because for for many folks that might be tuning into this, right? Uh, and and Brian, looking at your book. That is, a, that is often a, uh, you know, a retort, a question, a, you know, a challenge that comes up, right? It says, yeah, but my business, you know, we're, 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 if we were to even get 10% to this digital channel, it would be B, you know, it'd be billions, right? Um, and our, our products, they're, they're so expensive, you know, no one's going to do that transaction online. And I like that you uh, got Illumina to actually acknowledge that, no, uh, actually, while we might have started off with the consumables, yeah, we're selling multi-million dollar pieces of equipment over the e-commerce They are. Yep, and that's are. what that's what the buyers are doing, right? So that's real now. That is not, you know, everyone thought no one will sell cars online. No one will sell these large consideration items online. Yes, now you can sell major medical equipment, right? Giant tractors from Caterpillar, whatever, right? It, it's, it doesn't matter how many zeros come after that. Uh, hopefully your UI fits it well, but. Other than that, it's real. <laughs> right. I, and I like that you uh, got some of that out there, Brian, because I think 
yeah. you know, that's still a concern for a lot of folks that are either very new, haven't started yet, or, or thinking about doubling down, right? That's their first thing is, is this, you know, are people really going to do this transaction? And yeah, that's some good examples there. It's, it's like, yes. real, man. It's real. It's not, it's not just about shoes and books and music anymore. Guys. Right. 20 years ago. And yeah, I, I just a quick, a quick story. It's funny. I, I, used, I used to work with a company called, called guidance and um, doing, I, you know, IT work. I was doing still, I still do a little bit of strategy work with them, but the, um, the, they started a site uh, for Foot Locker 20, I think it was 1998 or seven or something. And at the time, it was in the closet, you know, in the in the corner of the office. And the CEO at the time was like, we're never going to sell any shoes online. <laughs> and I wasn't there, but I heard the stories. And, uh, you know, the CEO is not there anymore. It's not the reason why. This is years ago. But um, the uh, but now, I mean, I think they did two or three billion dollars in shoes last year. Um, I mean, it's, it's incredible. And so, I mean, yeah, this is ingrained behavior, guys. But I think the key is, to your point, Darren, when we, that Illumina example it was also about the channels working together. So when they get a million dollar or whatever plus shopping cart close on their website, these a lot of times that customer has been, it's, it's a whole journey and the sales force has been in touch with them. They've learned about the products. It's digital. Yeah. It's not digital. It's, but they're, they're all working together. So flexibility is really important. And actually, Matt, I wanted to, I wanted to ask you uh, a little bit about, you know, you guys, I mean, you've got so many, I, I know your business um, reasonably well. I know you have a lot of systems and other things and legacy and, you know, your big complex company, you're the 15th largest, I think in the galaxy. I don't know, but uh, <laughs> the um, tell us about, you know, different concepts. You know, we talk a lot in there and this is close to your heart, headless commerce and other things. Have you guys explored, you know, kind of how do you, how do you build flexibility in what is, have you looked at headless commerce, for example? Yeah, it's a great question, Brian. Yeah, flexibility is key for us. As you mentioned, we're a, a large, large organization, about 40,000 employees, and uh, you know, we've grown through acquisition um, in a lot of cases. So as you acquire, you acquire more and more technology, and sometimes as you acquire, you don't always stitch that technology together um, in some cases for whatever reason. So we've had to make sure that you know, we are thinking about, as we think about the customer experience, we need to think about how we build things in a flexible way. Uh, examples of how we've built our experience, we we're very much API driven. So we have services that have been built that will go into our source system to pull out um, product information, price and availability, contract information, which is big in our world. So we have a, a very much a services-based, API-based architecture where we're offering data out and then our e-commerce experience consumes that. We're really just a front end to, um, you know, a good front end to exposing a lot of the information that our customer is looking for through the services we build. And so as we continue to evaluate different technologies that are out there, PIM is an example, product information management system is on our radar here for this upcoming year. We're looking at ways in which we can identify really good source systems that can hold that information, but then disseminate it out to different consumers of it. Our site being one of them, Amazon could be another one, and just other applications or experiences that our customers are using. Yeah, and Darren, do you have anything to add to that? I know. Yeah, I mean, I think when uh, Elastipath really pioneered this idea of headless commerce back in 2011, 2012, uh, and I was actually a, a, a almost customer and later partner in those early days. And it was this idea that you had to expose a lot of this as an API instead of a web template or a web page. 
And, you know, in the early days, I think we thought it was going to be a number of these other channels, maybe television, um, social was clearly coming up as a potential channel to purchase in. And, had, and there was a lot of B2C uh, use cases that drove the early demand to uh, tearing the front end off of the e-commerce storefront and really exposing all those capabilities as Matt engine as API. So then you can create the experience that you need. Uh, but now if you think about some of the B2B use cases and the technologies that have come forward, um, what I'm most bullish on is looking at some of the demand for voice, um, you know, looking at the, the, what Alexa has done from Amazon, how it's training people, uh, in their homes to to engage with a voice bot um, with you know Siri and and Google doing the same thing uh, and all of the kind of plethora of services that you can take advantage of out there. Uh, I spent a little bit of time in the Internet of Things space uh, at Intel a number of years ago, and that was one of the things that uh, we started hearing about. And even at Lastpass, we have a couple customers that actually uh, asked to have um, the person that was out in the field, right? Uh, that could be an engineering type person. It could be a sales rep type person, but they're, you know, oftentimes out in a truck, et cetera. And they wanted to be able to talk to their truck. They want to be able to ask, you know, do I have this part in the back before they go rummaging sure. around yeah. or from inside the facility? Yeah. So yeah. when you start to look at some of these use cases that we're all going to, you know, begin enabling uh, and want to enable, you know, Granger's done some neat things on the vending machine side. Right. Uh, with, uh, you know, the safety boots and, and all kinds of things where they can put that product in your own facility and, and what Cardinal Health, you guys have some things with, uh, with some novel, uh, you know, vending type options. As soon as you get into those use cases, it, you can't bring the website down into there. And so it, it really demands that you have thought through an API layer uh, and expose that data from all your systems so that you can create any experience you want that may be a voice experience. It may be a button, uh, right? A reorder button on that device. Uh, it, you know, it's, those kinds of things are what's kind of creating some of this demand. Uh, so for those, you know, hearing those headless concept, it's kind of, you know, the original where it came from was simply taking the website head off it, but you still have to have a head. It will just be, you right. know, one of these other modalities. That's, that's awesome. And, and Darren, that's an awesome advertisement for our last session, actually, which is our digital future. And we're going to get into a lot of that stuff uh, in our next uh, in our next ep episode of the virtual book tour. Um, so, so Matt, um, thank you guys. Great, great concept here. Great discussion. Question for you. So, you know, I ask all of our virtual book tour uh, participants this, guests this. And Darren, I'd love your opinion, too. Um, if you had one piece of advice, you can take two if you want, but one piece of advice for um, a CEO or a leader who is just starting this. I mean, they're, they're at the early stages and 50% and of B2B companies don't have e-commerce guys still, right? So that's half of our audience probably, maybe more. What would you give, what piece of advice would you give to that CEO or that executive about getting started if they really have no, no place, no place they nothing they've invested in yet? Yeah, it's a really good question, Brian. I had a couple of, couple of pieces of advice I would give. One would be, as we've talked about on this um, video and call uh, a lot, is understand your customer. So do your customer research, understand your different customer segments, understand how they would or would not use an e-commerce experience. In many cases, they, they will. So it's understanding your customer, what their needs are. I think you got to start there. And then I think the second piece 
as you start to learn more about your customers' needs is really working on establishing a good strategy and vision for the experience. And what are you going to offer to your customers? Uh, which customer segments are you going to service and how are you going to service them? And then I'd say probably, probably the last uh, but not least, there's many other things we could talk through, but is building out a team of seasoned uh, experts who can deliver on the e-commerce strategy and vision. And, um, you know, just a quick, quick story. When I started five years ago, I had two people on my team um, to service the, the scale and breadth of, of customers that we're talking about. So I have been working on last five years, building out a team and um, just under 10 people now, still not enough, but uh, I've had a lot of luck pulling in folks from retail, going back to the B2C conversation we had, uh, folks who understand merchandising and search and product content, user experience design, yeah. analytics as an example as well. And also yeah. establishing a product owner who wakes up and thinks, thinks about the experience every day and how we can connect with our customers. So the team piece is really, really important in order to deliver on the vision. Yeah, I'm not having met having met many of them. Um, yeah, you've done a good job hiring there. It's um, it's great that you pulled from B to C. What about what about you, Darren? What uh, what advice do you have? You know, I would echo and if not amplify what Matt said around uh, get to know what your customers wanting to do. I think there's still that that perception that that there isn't the demand for this, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and so, you know, it, as much as it sounds like getting into the weeds, I've seen some CEOs be real successful with. Uh, participating and getting into looking at things like, uh, you know, some of those replay analytics tools, like a hot jar or something that, are, you know, can be free to begin with and you can take a look at. Uh, and also, you know, some of the comments coming through CSAT uh, processes, uh, some, some have put on, you know, there's some various, you know, eye perceptions, lots of these little uh, small uh, tools that can grab comments, you know, little MPS scores things, but the key is the comments and reading them, and digesting it and and maybe if they if they have a process where they you know read things in quarters or whatever it's pulling that information in and and really seeing that and hearing that the customers want them to be able to engage in that way um, but I I think you probably first I felt uh, reading your book Brian I felt like there was almost too much sense of urgency and, <laughs> and as I got into it I realized and I thought about the changes you know I think that probably is there's still the best advice is like do you really want to be the Sears of your industry? You know, like you've got to move fast. And with yeah. everything happening this year, market share is shifting, right? So yeah, I think that's probably the right advice at this point is go. Well, yeah. And actually it's interesting you say that Darren. one of the first uh, case studies in the book is a uh, mid market distributor. It doesn't just apply Matt to, you know, trillion dollar companies. Yep. These concepts apply to mid market distributors and, manufacturers and um, you know, the first case study is a company called Petra. They're a mid-market company and they got into e-commerce 15, 16 years ago and they've seen the benefits of it all the way through. And, and the key point of that case study is the CEO saying, I did not have all the information, but I acted. And, and it's, it's about acting, right? It's about moving ahead and it's, it's a little bit about overcoming fear. And so, yeah, I, you know, that's why the first chapter is called the time is now, right? <laughs> so, Guys, this has been really fantastic. I um, I appreciate both of you so much, and really the you know your your input is is so is so right on, and I think it'll really really resonate with our audience. So I want to thank you both. So we have one more session left, everyone. Our session eight is our digital future, and we talked a little bit today about um, Illumina. They're going to be my guest again, second time in the sh in the um, uh, virtual uh, book tour. We'll see you next time.